You're listening to Episode 7 of Undervalued. Our guest on this episode of Undervalued is Angela Tucci. Tucci is the CEO of Apto, the industry's leading CRM and deal management software for commercial real estate brokers. She was previously general manager of the Agile Management Business Unit at CA Technologies. She brings decades of experience as a proven leader in public and private software companies, including such companies as Rally Software, Symantec, and Neon. She is vice chair of the Anita Borg Institute for Advancing Women in Technology. Tucci earned a master's degree in business from Stanford University and a bachelor's degree in physics from Princeton University. We're so excited to hear what Angela has to say on this episode of Undervalued. Okay, we're here with Angela today. Angela Tucci. Angela Tucci. Uh, That's me. (laughs) And she is CEO of Apto. And we are lucky enough to, I am, to actually get to interview you for the second time because you were part of the interview for the book, the Cal Go Up um, book. Oh, at least five. That's right. Yeah, you're so much older and wiser now. <laughs> I, I'm definitely older. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. <laughs> well, and and when I thought about the guests that I'd like to have from the set of 48 people that I interviewed, you were one of the first ones I thought about. You're very kind. Well, it's easy. I mean, first of all, you have such a strong commitment to people and the development of people. And I even remember these little taglines you gave me before um around profits over people was not anything in your vocabulary right you've always been talking about you really invest in your people and you get the profits you right i've i've seen it so many times where companies have brilliant ideas and they can't execute because the people can't get along oh exactly and then the environment is caustic and it's mean girls or mean guys and yeah. nothing gets done exactly uh, despite it, the brilliant idea mm-hmm. yeah And we wanted you to go a little bit through your background, but one of the things that I um, recall so distinctly was when you talked about, you know, how you actually started out and got your first job. And (laughs) when he he loves this story. I love this story. (laughs) You were a softball umpire and your dad, he, I've got to meet him one day, um, said, you have to get a real job. Exactly. It's going to be um, get a real job or I'm going to also uh, threaten you with McDonald's. Yes. And since I'm an introvert, I thought, gosh, me at the checkout counter is just not going to be. It's a, hell all I day. <laughs> yes. yes. It is your version of hell all day. It absolutely is. So nothing against McDonald's folks. Um, but for me, yeah, having to interact with people all day would be a nightmare. Right. <laughs> so he gave you that choice between that and the startup down the street. That's correct. And then said, get in the car, Angela. <laughs> With your resume. Yes. And off we drove down the street. And of course, as a young kid, you're, you know, you're fighting it tooth and nail the whole way. And, uh, yep, and he pulls into the driveway and he's like, okay, here we go. And uh, I get out of the car begrudgingly, you know, sort of stomping my feet, <laughs> being tortured by my family. A perfect <laughs> attitude for someone who wants to get a job, exactly. not. Exactly. <laughs> I walk in and uh, and a gentleman's coming down the stairs and I said, uh, my dad's sitting out in the car and he says, my choices are to apply here or, or McDonald's. And so um, I was wondering if I could apply for a job here. Oh my God. <laughs> so blunt and straight and to the point. And this worked. It completely worked i lucked out the man who was coming down the stairs was the ceo of the small company amazing um he was a, a physicist who had worked at a company that uh, was responsible for making the hubble telescope so no slouch uh brilliant man and he said hold on one second and he went and got another man and <laughs> um and we began an interview and at the end of the interview uh, he said to me well how much do people like you make and i was in college at the time and it's a long time ago and i'm like uh i don't know eight bucks an hour he's like all right <laughs> 
And I said, when do I start? He said, okay, coming out on Monday. Oh, my Monday. gosh. Amazing. And there I was, yeah, did uh, optical physics for laser uh, for laser delivery, did the eyeballs for what was a precursor to LASIK. Um, we were doing blind eye studies in New Britain, Connecticut, and there I was with my big laser <laughs> learning about how to how to do photo dissociation, a fancy name for ablating or, or basically changing the prescription of an eyeball. Amazing. Yeah, it was Thank goodness for dad pushing yes, me out of the seriously. car. Yes, yeah. yes. Because I am, yeah, I'd be making bad burgers. Exactly. <laughs> or making them badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it reminds uh, me of um, when I asked Ronnie, what, why did you do everything I suggested you do when I was mentoring you around trying to get this first job? And she said, my mama told me I need to do everything you told me to do. <laughs> and I said, and you listen to your mama? <laughs> Sometimes begrudgingly, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you listen to your dad. Yeah, I knew it was good for me. That's even great. Even if I was going to fight it tooth and nail. So oh, you did so great. go back for five years and work there. I did, yes. Oh, I, so that internship turned into five years of a job? A real job. Yeah, I was a junior Crazy. in college when I started there. And um, I thought I was going to go get my Ph.D. in physics. Um, I think in my heart of hearts, I knew I wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, but I uh, ended up on the path of going back to this company and uh, that company merged with a company in California and I got an all expense paid trip to Silicon Valley in 1990. Wow. And just based on, you know, the a door opened, I walked through it or actually, let me put it, my dad opened the door, he pushed me through it. <laughs> and, uh, and you fell and into it, this bed of roses. I, I mean, did. this really cool start to your career. Absolutely. And tech. Yep, absolutely. And it was by accident that I, I didn't know what Silicon Valley was. In 1990, most people didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and there I was doing laser eye surgery uh, in Sunnyvale, California. Amazing. And yeah, started my career in in a new place. Yes, and at the burgeoning of the of the internet. Sure. And so, can you just take us through the rest of your career, kind of how you got to the current uh, role? That would be great. <laughs> sure. So, I've, I've your never... climb to the C suite. Yeah, <laughs> let's hear it. Yeah, I, it's not been. It's been a haphazard journey. I for the I've never had a career path, and I always encourage people not to think about a career path because predicting. And predicting the next year, let alone the next five years, is difficult. And I think when you start to set a path, you actually limit your opportunity wow. because you narrow your focus. And rather than seeing possibility that can be 180 degrees or 360 degrees around, you end up going, no, I'm going to go on this line. And, um, and I didn't know it at the time that I was just open to, to opportunity. I was always curious. So uh, when I joined this company in California doing laser eye surgery, I, I knew if I wasn't gonna do that for the long haul. I was interested in how the company functioned. I went into, uh, went into more and more business school kinds of classes wow. and, and then applied to business schools thinking that, well, I, physics, I don't know anything about economics or finance or accounting or marketing or, um, and went and applied to a whole bunch of different schools. And when I got into Stanford, I stopped applying anywhere else, <laughs> and then um, I went to Stanford um, Graduate School for, for business, and best decision I ever made, but it was nerve-wracking at the time, because here I was diverging my, my, my work from science to now what seemed to be business. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Instead of seeing it as you're an and now of both. Yeah, now I have both. Isn't that amazing? It was so cool, but at the time, yeah, it seemed so nerve-wracking, so you're in your 20s and you're thinking I'm going to make a course correction by all means do it yes <laughs> and do it again and again and again right, right. Um, and when I got out of business school it was then 1994 and that really was the advent of the internet many of my classmates went on to found companies in in software and, um, and for me I ended up uh, at a company that was about 70 people pre pre-IPO they ended up going through an IPO they got bought by a large telco I went wow. through all these iterations of the company, and it was in a marketing position, not a not a laser eyeball sur <laughs> surgery <laughs> position. So what a difference, you know, just four years made. Wow. Um, so it's, uh, and I've stayed in software some 25 years now. I've been in various roles, different departments, different size companies. I've started two companies that have been venture-backed, one in California and Silicon Valley, another here in Colorado out of uh, Fort Collins. 
And, uh, and then I've worked for public companies. I was on the staff of the CEO for Symantec as the chief strategy officer. So I've been in the public company boardroom. I've been in the private company boardroom. I've started something from ground zero. I've started, I've been in an organization that's a uh, 7 billion. So, um, so I've, I basically did that by every time somebody suggested that I look at something I did, I looked at it and I'd apply for it, try it. And, um, and it's led me on what I call kind of my bump along journey. And, um, <laughs> and when I was, Back in Colorado after Symantec, the last part of that journey was joining Rally Software, which Coloradoans would, would probably recognize. It was an organization that was just amazing to go from zero to IPO. There were so few companies at the time in, in Colorado that were doing that. And then it ended up getting bought by um, CA Technologies. My journey was joining as the chief marketing officer um, on a whim. Uh, a friend of mine said, you should apply. And I said, I didn't want to. <laughs> you can see how this trend goes. I start, yeah, I start but people for, I start pushing no. you through doors. <laughs> yes. I start for no, and then I go to yes, because people know better than I. Um, and the CEO called me up despite my not wanting to talk to him. And, uh, and we started uh, having uh, such fruitful discussions. I actually felt like I had come home. Um, oh, wow. This was such an amazing company. Uh, it, the, the belief system it held of being very people-focused um, and also believing in a lot of the things I had learned in business school as the ways that you can do things, but so infrequently the way people actually do things in, in business. And they were doing it. And they were doing it. So I said yes, and, uh, and he said, well, I don't actually have a position for you now <laughs> when I was talking with him. Uh, he said, but in a handful of months, I will. So sit tight, and uh, I'll get back to you. And I thought, ah, I'm going to be unemployed. <laughs> I, can't, I can't go months without being employed. You have this moment of, like, you go into survival mode. Of, totally. I need a job. I need a job. I have to be working. So, uh, so I ended up um, doing a job for a friend of mine for about four months who said, come join me full time. And I said, you know what? No, I'm, I can't do that to you because if I get an offer to join this company, rally, I'm leaving you. I will leave. And mm -hmm. he said, well, come anyway. And I, oh, said, wow. I, I said, well, but know that I, I'm serious. I will absolutely, on the day I get this job, I will leave. He's like, that's okay. So, um, <laughs> so I, was, I was very lucky to have somebody who was willing to, willing to do that for me. And so I went to work for him for a period of time. And then on that day that I got the job, I said, today's the day. Um, you know, I'm giving my notice. And he said, you met your obligations. You've been great. And, and that, I wish you well. That speaks volumes, though, uh, oh, yeah. what he thinks of you. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. and talk about a guy, a, a really gender-intelligent leader that gets people and, and was really authentic and transparent with you. He absolutely was. Um, both, the, both the CEO of Rally and this gentleman that I was working for for that period of time, he's, he's become a really good friend, too, and, and is a, a, a friend to diversity, if you will. He devotes much of his time to women in technology. Uh, the gentleman I actually, you and I were talking about before this broadcast. Yes. Mark. Mark that's him. That's him. Fabulous. Yeah, well, we're hoping... Person to look at him as a guest. So that would be so phenomenal to ask him how you really were. Yeah, that's right. He'll tell you the truth. <laughs> Let's like, see what his story was. I never said she could leave after four months. <laughs> yeah, that was four months of hail. No, I'm just teasing. Exactly. <laughs> what is she talking about? No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Yeah, so so I worked for Rally for three, four years, became the general manager after we got acquired and took on more responsibility. Um, and I just, I learned so much about really the, great ways to, to operate um, in an organization that was really people-centric and that lived those core values of people first. Wow. Uh, so I, uh, I take that now into, into the company I currently run. And, and I, joined, I joined a startup after having lived both ends of the spectrum of starting companies and, and big companies because I really wanted to give back to the Colorado community. Colorado has been so good to me. I've learned and grown and, and invested so much more in the community here and it's invested in me that I wanted to build a company here that could be a destination for many of our people and that they could learn and develop and grow in the ways that I have and I, that I could I and others could learn from. So wanted something that we could really nurture through the various stages of growth and take people on a on that growth journey together. I love it. Here. But did you want to kind of check that CEO box? Years ago I did it's funny. I like get the stripes was how you put it in in one of your in in the previous interview you did with me. <laughs> 
I, I've wanted to be CEO, and I've watched my reasons for it evolve over time. Um, I, I did what I think a lot of women, and I'll say girls too, do, which is I got pushed by people to be a CEO before I thought I was ready. Mm. It was the typical, no, I'm not qualified. I'm not capable. I need more time. I need more time. I need more, yeah, more experience under my belt. So I didn't go make that leap earlier in my career when people had suggested it. Then over time, I figured, well, it'll happen and if it's going to happen. And um, and it's sort of, well, it's like dating, right? When If you're really looking for a date, you're not going to, you're going to have a terrible one. <laughs> 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 if you're not looking for it and Isn't you're that just true? open uh, to, again, possibility, you find that people are, are starting to seek out a good match for you. And wow. I think I had gotten to the level of comfort where I felt like, I can take on that kind of responsibility. I can do it from, from the right place, which is do it from a place of wanting to grow a business, not do it from some place that came from my ego. And, and for me, that was a really important step. I could have done it egotistically, if you will, and I think I would have been terrible at it uh, because it would have been about me, not about the company. Right. I, I think it's, it, it's been my journey to move from being very much of a learning journey for myself from how do I actually create the environments for others to learn and grow? And that be my gift back to people for so much of what has been a gift to me. Uh, it almost wow. it almost feels like she's not real. I mean, <laughs> she is so sweet and so kind and so authentic. That yeah, you're very kind. Well, what I really love and is kind of striking me right now is you're saying a lot of the same things that Kristen Russell, who was on our second episode, said. And she's a aero electronics. Yes. And she made the same point that people are afraid to pivot and do new things and take suggestions. And she's like, fearlessly making career moves and doing things that you didn't think you would do is how I got to the place that I'm at. But what's really different about you guys is she's like super bubbly, big personality extrovert. And you're like introvert giving the same advice. So yeah, like this quiet wisdom about you. (laughs) It is. But I have to kind of steer us because, um, you know, we want the guests to be such a wide range of lots of different underrepresented groups. And so um, you are um, gay and you did take some time to share that in your professional life, from what I recall. Yes, very much. I've I was very fearful, and I, I think I had very good reasons for being fearful for a long time about being out and not wanting to have my gayness or being gay limit my career. It was the 80s and 90s in which I grew up in was not very accommodating for uh, gay people, and nor is it necessarily in all different companies today even. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the places haven't evolved, exactly. That's right. That's right. So yes, for a, for a long time I was fearful, and then I realized that I need to be a role model. And then it's a question of, as a, a role model, what's the biggest coverage I can offer authentically? And so I started from a place of, well, I'm obviously a woman, so I would hide that I was gay because I thought, okay, I'm willing to be out, and I'm, if somebody asks me, I'll be honest about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not gonna lead with it because I felt like women who weren't gay would then say, well, I can't relate to you. Wow. Which is something that I thought a lot about. And I've, and I still, even in this discussion here, I'm not, not concerned about being outed or talking about the journey from the mindset of being gay. But I do want people to realize too, that, that there's, I can bring a lot more than just a, a gay person to the yeah to the, you have more to role. offer than your gayness and my gayness because women yeah. in general have had such a plight in and in, in the professional world that I, I want to help more people I don't want to help fewer people exactly. I want to help as many as I can right and and I remind the men too that everybody has a thing we all have a thing we all have that Achilles heel that we worry about that if we're found out we're, we're somehow going to be thought less of. Mm-hmm. Right. And we spend a lifetime you know, protecting it. And so man, woman, short, tall, fat, skinny, we all have a thing. And so you know, I, I would at some point in my life be wanting to get to a place where we could talk about all of us inclusively and then start to talk about what makes us different. Because if we're all the same, that's we're redundant. Like who wants to be the same as somebody else? Right. Exactly. And um it's kind of like everybody has something to come out of the closet about. Yes. Right. And so 
this hit me so profoundly about three years ago when I left um, the corporate environment to go and write a book and you know your family's going what are you doing did you fall and hit your head <laughs> what are you thinking right, right. and kind of at the top of my career too so it was really odd um, but I realized I would leave my spiritual side uh, my Christianity in the car when I came in the into the workplace mm. because of that fear of offending that fear of being judged you know the Bible toting you know <laughs> southerner yes. um, gay people are scared of you yes yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bet you right right that's yeah. the other thing too yeah. people would just assume that yeah. you're brimstone and fire to those guys right yeah. to them so um did you feel this um empowerment this the sigh of after you did you were open about it, it how did that impact you it it does make you feel more courageous when you share your thing <laughs> you suddenly realize you that the thing that you're concerned about is actually the thing that's going to bring you closer to people um, at least wow. that's what i found it's it's that uh, courageous authenticity is is the, some of the lingo around it but sharing my deepest darkest secret <laughs> at least that's how I felt about it, mm -hmm. actually made me more vulnerable and then more approachable to others. Because I think they knew I was hiding something, so I always had some sort of perimeter of engagement that you couldn't cross. Yeah, like that bubble that always separated you from someone. So when you would say, how was your weekend? Did you guys do anything? I'd be like, yes, we, we. did something. Oh. Right, what, like what did you, <laughs> you can't share these like details about your personal life, or you felt like you couldn't kind of. It wouldn't share it, and then you get into pronoun games. So it's interesting oh. to be in a new world of pronouns. But or on a weekend, I'd say yes, we did things. And if somebody asked me, they would typically ask me, "Oh, what did your you know you Spouse and your husband, or husband do?" And I would oftentimes get asked the husband question. Well, you could decide in that moment to say, "Well, it wasn't my husband; it was my partner or my." female spouse uh and and then that kind of just stunts the whole conversation and and then people feel like they did something wrong or bad and and so i was i was the secret was actually creating more and more distance because and I was exhaustion <laughs> on your part you're yeah. always filtering you're always thinking about how to to navigate it and, and to stay out of those conversations oh so for, for the person I am today, most people would think, gee, I overshare at this point. <laughs> I think that's what my girlfriend would say. She would be like, you, you overshare. Say, You're well, like, maybe. I have making up to do. <laughs> and I think that's right. I think that's right. Like, I have nothing to fear at this point. And so I want to illustrate to others that you can share whatever you need to with me. Um, that I am not your, not your judge. And, and I think because I felt so maybe internally judged or potentially judged um, that I want to just make it super safe for anybody to have any conversation about anything um, wow. with me and, and to just see people individually as a result. And what oh, I love so the great. way she's talking is um, like we're talking about you in third person, like you're not even here right now, which is <laughs> totally <laughs> freaking weird. I don't know why I went there, but um, is you, I'm kind of looking at Ronnie to make this point, but, you talk about it not, I'm going to change the world by being this way, and then everybody else has to be my way. You don't talk about it that way. You talk about it as, I am going to be better as how I show up, and that hopefully will move things forward in some small way. Yeah, it's just create openness such that other people can step into that openness, or they can choose to stay exactly where they are. Wow. So have you seen Did, many CEOs that have would talk this way? Because I haven't, Ronnie. Oh, oh no. <laughs> no. You're like the least egotistical CEO I've ever talked to. It is very true. I'm highly competitive, though. So you are. I'm wildly competitive. And you're confident, but you're not, you aren't an ego mess mm -mm. at all, which is a bit of a dichotomy, but... Uh, I love it. I love it, too. <laughs> well, thank you. I've, I had the years of ego, or at least where the ego would trip me up, because you start to measure yourself externally versus internally. Ah. You don't have that centeredness that says, I'm okay. I'm okay with me and what I think of me. And start from that place. 
And I think when you start to look for so much external validation, you do a lot of testing with others. You're like, hey, do you think great things of me? Because I do. Hey, you know, tell me more about me. <laughs> yes. and, uh, and that's awful, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's an awful place to live in your own psyche. Yes. So you want to get to a place where in many ways, and probably coming out, help with this. I actually don't care what you think of me. I'm curious about it. But I really want to be coming from this place that says, I'm not looking for validation from you. And I'm here to help, in a sense, especially in my companies. So I want to create the safety that people will ask me for help. And if I come with ego, they're going to think they're going to have to show up perfectly or have to impress me. Or they're not going to tell me the thing that they really need to tell me. That's why you know something's going to come off the rails. Right. Right. So, so I've tried to get to this place where... And I'm probably over-rotated on it at times, but I've, I've, let's create safety so that we can talk about the things we want to talk about. Wow. And that we need to talk about. Wow. So we called the podcast Undervalued, right? Um, so a lot of times women feel like they're underemployed, they're, that others don't see the value they bring. They've kind of put them in a box or pigeonhole them. And I know men can feel this way too, but you have to have that safe place to even have that conversation. You don't see my value, right? So have you had those instances where you have felt undervalued or do you have advice for women who feel like they are currently not um, seen for all the worth they bring in their current role? A lot of it is your personal mind games. You, you can walk into a room and have a great deal of confidence or not. It's the assumptions you walk into that room with. Now, people can take away your power. They can certainly ignore you. They can undermine you. They can make you feel lousy. They can judge you for sure. But the way in which you enter the room before you know any of that is up to you. Wow. So oftentimes I would encourage women to actually, as an example, walk into a room and just smile, disarm the room, work to disarm yourself from whatever you think is going on and remind yourself that probably everybody else is in their own heads with their own issues around how they feel valued or not <laughs> and, and how people are jockeying in, in that room and observe it for the sort of the human game that it is of everyone's insecurity so that you're starting to get to see people's strengths and weaknesses in those moments so that you're not taking it so personally. And I think we take it so personally when it's really about the other person. It's about their insecurities. If I'm saying something about you that's, that makes you feel less, it's because I'm trying to feel more. Ooh. So what's, what's going on in my head that says I even need to feel like more in that moment? Exactly. Um, now I got to cheat in some ways and I, I had never thought about this up until about a, about a year ago because I was so terrified of being outed. I never noticed the whole, like I was a woman entering a room. I just hoped I was entering the room as a woman that they thought was straight. Oh my wow. gosh. So, so as long as they thought I was straight, I was powerful. The minute I thought they may think I was gay, then I was less than, but I could hide that. Right? I could show up in a dress and heels and seemingly overcome a stereotype. But that was my own baggage. Yeah. So on the one hand, I had this ton of baggage of like, don't find my Achilles heel because then I will crumble. On the other hand, it, it, it overcompensated for the fact that I was a woman entering largely in the tech sector, a, a male-dominated room, and I was just glad they didn't out me. <laughs> Wow. Isn't that funny? I mean, like, that, so that's, that's amazing. I accidentally came into the, I don't care I'm female in your male world because I'm so scared to death. You're going to find out I'm gay. Oh my God. Well, and so now that you are out, then have you noticed any discrimination since you are a woman? But I guess you're a CEO, so you're in yeah, charge. Yeah, you're kind of walking around the... the but I just wonder uh, once that... Well, I, I think I've come across everything anybody has ever talked about, and not because I'm special or unique. Um, I mean, I've had people ask me for coffee when I'm the keynote speaker. Wow. Oh, my God. I've had people ask me for, <laughs> to help them rebook their airlines. Like, ask you to get them coffee? When I'm the <laughs> keynote speaker, and this was a different event. I've had the, the man who's come up with the great idea 
when I just said when that <laughs> idea. The, the classic. Um, I've had men say silly things in front of me. I've had advances um, from men in the workplace from the board level on down, which is just reprehensible. And unfortunately, when I sit with other women in, in leadership positions, I'm no different than any of them in terms of the examples I can cite. Mm -hmm. Again, I think because I was so headstrong around, but don't find out I'm gay, I just sort of took all of that stuff as like, ah, silly men, or that's sort of stupid, or gosh, that's really embarrassing when you find out that I'm gonna be on stage here shortly. Like I felt more sad for people in those moments of their sort of stereotyping of me than I right. felt the offense of it. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I'm not sure why I was fortunate to have that sort of centeredness for a long time, other than, I, as I said, I think it's just because I was, I was scared of this other thing being found out that I didn't right. walk they're the Right, they're treating me like a woman, as, as a, a straight woman, <laughs> so they're not, treating, they're not thinking I'm a gay woman, exactly. so I'm still... So I'm good. I'm still safe. I'm and then I, as I then came out to more and more organizations, I used to say when, when you're interviewing for a job, how many of you have ever said at the, after you've gotten the job offer and you're sitting across the table from your new hiring manager, have you ever had to say, is it okay I'm straight? But I would have to, or at least I felt compelled to say, is it okay that I'm gay? Is that going to be a problem for you in this organization? Wow. Right. Or is it going to be a problem for me? Like, am I going <laughs> to... That's the yes, bigger, that right? is the bigger question. Um, and, and, and you actually said those words. I would say those words because I wanted to know. And no wanted... fast. Fail fast. <laughs> exactly. And, and you could say, well, how many people in that moment are really going to say, oh, well, that's really good to know because actually you're going to be, you're not going to be successful. <laughs> yeah, this actually isn't for you. <laughs> um, but I did have to feel it to have to come out, out and come over that barrier because I didn't want it to then linger because it would have a psychological tax to me uh -huh. like oh, oh I got this job now I'm going to start because I did in the 90s have um, a couple of people go to HR to try to get me fired as a gay woman wow um, so I kind of lived that life and that fear um, in a way that was material to you know my coming up with a paycheck and paying my bills how did that... you keep going how did you not want to just throw in the towel after so many just horrible experiences like that? Well, I think I'm, I've, I've always been somebody who's been intrinsically motivated to achieve and to, and to, keep, to keep going. Maybe it's the competitive nature. Oh, yeah. I played a lot of sports. Yes. And so I've lost lots of games. I've, I've pitched that pitch where somebody hits the home run off of you. I've been in those moments, but I've also been on the other side of it in terms of success. Mm -hmm. So perhaps that helped me learn to get up after failing. And <laughs> Playing sports, too, I think you're like me. Don't tell me I can't. <laughs> yes, it's a really good point. And it will actually inspire you. Once you get over the, man, this is such a bummer, you're like, I, I need to show them. I, mm -hmm. need to, I need to rebound from this, right? Right, right. And I've, I think I've always seen the world as, as half full, and, then there's, and I've been very fortunate to have, and I, I know many women say this, I've been very fortunate, but I, frankly, I do think I'm very lucky for all the different opportunities. I've, I've made many of those opportunities by either somebody pushing me out the door <laughs> or out of the car, uh, and that I just keep walking and going and get that little start. But that says I've had people around me who believed in me who would give me that push because they weren't trying to push me to, to, you know, to run in front of the car and get hit. They were pushing me to walk through a door and take an opportunity mm -hmm. that they believed in. So but, the support structure has been But important. Angela, they didn't. Um, do it out of a goodness. They did it because you're good, right? And so um, that's the one thing that I hope people, the listeners here, is to be sponsored for somebody to, and you even said this earlier in our first interview, um, to actually have somebody take a chance on you, the first thing is you've got to be great you got to give to get because I think we do want to support those that we really do believe in and that's something will happen right um, for, for good and I think I've always tried to be open that when people support me oh well I guess maybe too I don't want to let them down yeah man amazing I know do you it makes a... me feel like a wimp for me <laughs> and Getting remember so after it know. is <laughs> not about beating ourselves up we no. do a good enough job of that right oh the voice in our heads I... remember it's that what are we going where are we going to go from this right and I think right? what you said about it you reminding me of each other when you said 
uh, that you would always kind of feel bad for the people that were saying those things to you. That's kind of the advice Wendy's given me is if my boss is being an asshole or someone's treating me unfairly, just be like, you poor thing. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bless your dumb heart. You're so behind the times. Yes. And really when you make that shift in your head to – I don't even know really how to describe it better than you did. It's, it can be a really powerful well, and, thing. And you can spend so much time being angry about your situation and the person that people say it's like taking medicine and hope uh, or poison and hoping the other person dies. <laughs> it's just all in you. All of that is negativity in you. Right. So releasing it can really help you to move on, right? When you were the keynote speaker, did you just get up on the stage and make like direct eye contact with that guy that asked you to get a coffee? Uh, I think I had a little bit of a smirk, yes. <laughs> yes. What, oh, a su- what a sweet moment. She's, uh, she's human. That's good. But I used to have people too that, uh, that sort of taught me that, I think, very early on in my career who were so supportive. So that laser eye company, I'd be in a booth at a trade show back when we would show medical devices at a trade show. And a gentleman would stand, a doctor would come into the booth and say, I'd walk up and say, hey, can I help you? And they'd be like, well, I want to talk to that gentleman over there. And I said, well, I can help you. What, what would you like to know? No, I'll wait for him. And the other person that was one of my colleagues, the minute he was available and the gentleman walked over and said, hey, I want to ask you questions, he'd say, well, you should actually ask the person who designed the system. And he'd put them right back to me. I love it. <laughs> so we would... So, so I learned that there was support in those moments, and I think probably I reflect back on those and, and kind of chuckle. And, and you can imagine the, the doctor at that point would be a little sheepish. Um, but, you know, that kind of support, I think, also gave me confidence that there were, there were more people in my camp than I realized and that there were more outliers or, right. or fewer outliers, should I say, that were, the, that were stereotyping me. Wow. Well, and one of the things we're so passionate about with the podcast is to help to build allies. And what could you, what advice you could give straight women to be better allies and advocates for women with different sexual preferences? Well, from where I sit, I sometimes find straight women uh, very intimidating because they can put on the clothing of the straight world and look great and wear the heels and put on makeup. And I feel like a klutz in that world. And, and so whatever is the thing I feel klutzy about relative to the person I'm talking to, um, how do I, if I were to flip it around, how do I make it safe for me to show up next to somebody that I might find very intimidating? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, if, if I were... Uh, a man who wasn't an alpha male and I was coming up to an alpha male, how would an alpha male help me be, yeah. you know, cr- open the space, cr- open the space, yeah. same thing. Um, straight women, if you will, if there's such a category, uh, being very cognizant of the things that may create distance between them and, and a gay woman. And by the way, and that's just an example for me. I, I, the, the nice thing about, and, and this again, my girlfriend and I talk about, the nice thing about today's world is that we're so much more open to, 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 to gender, so much to sexual preference, to diversity in general, that we don't actually have to dress the part of our stereotype to find others in that category. Because oh. we can just ask. Yeah. Um, so I think of my 80s and 90s, I probably wore more of the gay uniform. And then when I'd go to work, I'd try to wear the straight uniform. And then I'd go home and I'd wear the gay uniform. Because we didn't, there's no gay, like, signet. You can't look at me necessarily and see I'm gay. Right. Unless I dress the part. Exactly. <laughs> so in the 21st century, we can just dress how we enjoy to dress. Right. And have the conversation about, well... You know, who, who do you like to date? Who, who would you yeah. like to fall in love with? You know, what does that person look and feel like to you? Um, and, and as you show up at work, what's different about us that I'm, I can get curious about to help you in your journey um, in our company or mm-hmm. in the journey of your career if you choose to? Yeah, to, but, to... Um, but I remember distinctly just three years ago, three or four years ago, where... Um, a male executive told me I was too red. I had worn a red suit. And they <laughs> said, it's just too red. It's just too flashy. And so you, I, I felt confident and I loved the suit. It was one of my favorites. And I started thinking, how should I dress differently? 
So even the straight, you know, (laughs) you look at me and say, oh, she looks so together and confident. I'm sitting there remembering, oh, I'm too flashy. I better wear black. We all have a right? thing, right? We have our thing. We have our thing. So, uh, so I think it's really the the saying that I know nothing about you. And when I walk up to you, I know zilch about you. Remembering that, having the right. humility to know that we don't know anything about each other, and it is trying to basically tease out, you know, how would you like me to see you? One of the interview questions I always ask people is. Um, What's the stereotype about you that you hate? Oh, <laughs> love it. interesting. And I think it comes from that place that, that we're talking about here. I want to know what people think is the thing I'm going to assume about them that they that is so untrue. Right. Huh. What's, what's a good answer you've gotten? Um, my um, administrative assistant, which now sounds hoity-toity to a CEO at my bigger company, because <laughs> um, many people do have assistants, um, was a woman who, to me, would not necessarily look like she had traveled the world. That from an educational background, you might assume, maybe from a monetary perspective, that she hadn't traveled. And so... Because of how um, she dressed? Um, or Sort of the socioeconomic stratus she was in. And um, how old she was. Okay. Um, and it turned out she was this very worldly, comfortable traveler, had traveled, the, traveled all around the globe, spent a lot of time in Asia. But, but, you know, you could very quickly say, oh, white woman, Colorado, hadn't moved out of, hadn't gone out of the state, oh. um, was only sort of And she familiar. knew this about herself. And she was self-aware enough to realize, or at least frustrated potentially as to how she was identified, <laughs> that she wanted to share with me. I am not that person who is just Colorado bound and unaware of the of a, sort of the global um, personalities and, and ethos. Wow! Huh. So like I'm well traveled, damn it! Yeah, no. don't put me in that box. <laughs> don't put me in that box. And everyone has a box they don't want to be in. Ah, yeah. Um, what a fun question. And I suppose you could put it the other way: of what box would you like me to put you in? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the one's the more the egotistical. Like I'm really accomplished. I've done all these things. Yeah. Like, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Tell me about you, the human, not, not you, the, the bio. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, to walk the planet is gay where you don't get to, like, share it with people versus the flip side, to walk the planet as the diverse element that you always are. Like, to walk the planet as a black woman, you know, yeah. somebody of color you can't, that you, can't you hide just it. see all the time. Like, I at least had the ability to go, don't look over here. I can... Yeah. I'll I don't try want to you put to put my lipstick on. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> wow. I don't want you to judge me. So in case you do, I'm going to hide it. Right. Whereas an, a woman of color or a man of color can't do that. Right. Uh, the woman who's heading up this organization for women in tech is a an African American woman, and one of the fascinating things that has happened is she's hired other African women, African American women, to be on her staff. Mm. And some of the board has been like, hey. You know, this is a Silicon Valley organization that's been largely white, and now you're hiring black women. And I, you know, and all of us pause on that comment. What? Recognizing, well, recognizing it's different, so it immediately evokes a little discomfort, a visceral discomfort, not a, not a logical one, a right. visceral one. Right. And then we all stop and we say, whoa. I hire white people all the darn time, and nobody ever questions me. Hey, you've had a little, a couple too many white people. Who's right. ever said that? No, yeah, and that the whole problem is that white men are have a bias towards people that are like them and want to hire white men. And here's this black woman hiring black women, and it's different. And you know what is but really it's frust- totally the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's frustrating about that is that if it was a white man hiring all those yeah. black women, people would wouldn't even think he was great. Oh, Look at him bringing he all would this diversity. Actually, get kudos in. for it. Exactly. Well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg got asked by a guy. Um, how many women is enough on the Supreme Court? And she said, all of them. <laughs> and he looked, he was so like perplexed. Like, I can't believe you said that. All women? Well, no one said anything about having all men. Right. And it, that's really where you don't even think about it. I don't think about it. We just, yeah, it just becomes comfortable. Comfortable as in it's not different, so, it's, so we feel comfort. Right. And so when at that moment you feel discomfort, there's a learning opportunity. Yes. There's the opportunity to make a difference. There is the opportunity to change. So check your discomfort. So the fact that we felt uncomfortable about all black women 
or these new women coming into this organization, it was natural for us actually to feel discomfort. Mm -hmm. The question is what to do about this discomfort. Use it as an opportunity to illustrate how cool it is that we're actually shifting the demographic and let's have the conversation as to why do we feel this and and applaud are, her and, and applaud it instead right? of yeah. why are you yeah hiring so many people like you right 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 wow wow okay do your do do time for the study of the sode thank you wendy you're okay. welcome. So my study is from the Human Rights Campaign. The title is A Workplace Divided, Understanding the Climate for LGBTQ Workers Nationwide. And this study is kind of cool because they collected the responses in February and March of 2018, and they did a similar survey, survey in 2008, so you can kind of see... How things have changed. Yes, exactly. So I just pulled out some of the sort of most eye-opening statistics to me. So the first one is that 46 of LGBTQ workers say they are closeted at work compared to 50% in 2008. So I kind of looked at that and better. I was like, a little better, but not a lot better. Is what that would you hope it yeah. would be? How does that hit you, Angela? I'm, I'm surprised that we've not moved that much in 10 years. Um, that said, 20 years ago, I would imagine that almost 100% felt closeted. Right. Totally. So, so we're directionally correct. But, but too slow. But wow, really no material difference in the last 10 years. Yeah, I, I don't know. So, it's not enough movement. And I know my friends on the East Coast, for instance, in, in New England still, many of them do not come out. And it depends on the industry and it depends on the role. Right. Um, but here are women in their 40s and 50s who are still in the closet and playing the pronoun game about where this, right. who they were with this totally. weekend. But well, personally, they're not. Like with their friends and family, they're not closeted. Not. It's just a work. Yeah, wow. They, they still feel a risk. That's sad. You better have a good uplifting news story. Come <laughs> <laughs> right. um, I have that one in five LGBTQ workers report having been told or had coworkers imply that they should dress in a more feminine or more masculine manner, which is kind of interesting because we were talking about that earlier. Um, well, and I am sorry <laughs> to have anyone suggest how you should dress. I know. One in five. That's 20% is offensive, of people. Yeah. Right? Unless you're showing body parts, like crack in the back, <laughs> you know, with the low, with the like low pants, crack. like crack here or crack up here in the front for the girls. Yeah. And that's compared to one in 24 non LGBTQ people. Wow. We'll get a suggestion about how they should dress compared to one in five. Wow. Um, one in 10 LGBTQ workers have left a job because the environment was not very accepting of LGBT, LGBTQ people. One in five have searched for other jobs, and one in five have stayed home from work because the workplace wasn't always accepting of LGBTQ people. Um, in 2012, 43% of non-LGBTQ workers were willing to let negative comments go unaddressed, and in 2018, only 35% of non-LGBTQ workers are willing to let negative comments go unaddressed. I, I was in a, in a group of CEOs where we sort of all help each other through advice. And, and, uh, and one of the things we were talking about is the difference between conflict and confrontation. Oh. Um, and I, let's say we, we can, you can make up the definitions, but what I like about the way they talked about conflict was more like going head to head versus confront was to more to seek, seek the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think many of us, it, in terms of how we solicit and give feedback, we're worried about conflict rather than looking for to confront Front. the facts mm -hmm. or confront truth. So when you mentioned the, the, you know, somebody makes some comment in the workplace and says, you know, hey, that, that guy's a fag or something like that. People, I think, take it as a, as, as an, as a, as a fight. Right. <laughs> versus really trying to seek the truth of why did you say that? Yeah. And, and 
And why would you say something that was hurtful? I, again, looking for seeking the truth of why the comments or seeking right. the truth of the comment. Right. Um, and, and using it as an, almost like an educational moment. Right. Right. I'll never forget I had this guy um, from J.P. Morgan when I was working at Lucent. And I was at a customer dinner. I was the only woman. And this New Yorker, New Jersey kind of guy, you know, swaggered up and during dinner and said, you don't look like the typical engineer. You don't have fat ankles. Fat ankles? What? Because engineer women are presumed to be less attractive. <laughs> well, or, yeah, there's a stereotype. Or, or like homely or... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe it, y'all. Uh, and I, I thought my grandmothers so had fat ankles. Isn't that the stereotype? I yeah, immediately... Or like pregnant women. That's pregnant, what I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fat there we totally. Go. <laughs> so I immediately tried to educate the man because he had <laughs> cowboy boots on. And I said, what if I told you that anybody with cowboy boots was a dumb hick. <laughs> and he looked at me like a dog does when you say, don't do that. <laughs> you know, like his head tilted to the side, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but it is that you're, it is really a tough situation to, to confront it. Anything else you could say about how we can do that well to, to be one of those that actually helps the situation instead of just comes in for a fight. Well, I think we we look for motivation in in why people say the things they do, and oftentimes we use our own interpretation as to why the motivation. They hit our Achilles heel. Ooh. So, so somebody says, "Oh, you're you're a dyke." Like that hits my Achilles heel of like, "Oh gosh, I look like a lesbian, and therefore that scene feels bad, and now I'm going to be discriminated against." Blah 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 blah. And rather than looking at that person and saying, again, with compassion. Why would somebody say that? Like, what is it about that person in that moment that makes them feel like they need to say that? What insecurity do they have? Ooh. But it's so hard to catch yourself in the moment because you go immediately to your ow, ow, ow place. Defensive. <laughs> and defensive versus trying to find the thing that says, why would you say that? And, and you can ask them actually like, why, 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 would, why would you say that? What about you makes you feel like you need to say that? Wow, right. man, I'm going to use that next I know. time I'm advocating for somebody. I love it. Why would you say that? Yeah, and wow. I've said the mantra I use in my head to get me from being defensive is I say, seek first to understand. Yeah. I say those little three words, and it gets me, it's like taking the breath, the 10 seconds to count the 10, and for some somehow it gets me to the point I could actually ask a, a question and not, do it in a snarky way. Well, and that's an, that's an open-hearted response, if I now think of sort of the, the land of Brene Brown and even Buddhist mm -hmm. teaching, to, to truly seek deep understanding is to truly love. And, and that's, that's something that you're giving Wow. Versus wanting something in return. So you're so, so enlightened, oh, isn't she? Well, yes. I, I'm, just, I'm getting I'm, chills, I'm even old. though we have a space heater. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's just having walked the planet and also having my own neuroses around these Achilles heels that have held me back. And they've largely held me back because of my own talk track. Wow. I've let people govern my own talk, you know, create my own talk track that undermines myself. You want to talk about advocacy, advocate for yourself Self in your first. own head. In your own head. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's been a good session when Wendy's picked up her pen 10 times to write down the quotes. <laughs> okay, the, the Angela Tucci right. fan club. Um, is over <laughs> at this point i'm gonna go and talk yeah. about our uplifting news story Ch cheer us up because that yes. was a little bit of a downer but well, lots of progress to be made and, and the you know right. google is thought to have had its issues around um sexual bias and sexual harassment and <clears throat> not always leading the way but i love what they did around you know that feature in when you're typing and it figures out it's called smart compose where it figures out what it thinks you're going to say to try to help you do things faster yes. yes right well that gmail feature that predicts how a person intends to complete the sentence um they hit a problem where um they were predicting the wrong gendered pronoun so oh, i'll give you the goodness. example um it was uh, there was a product manager, Paul Lambert, 
told Reuters the problem was identified in January when a company scientist typed, I am meeting an investor next week, and the smart compose apparently suggested, do you want to meet him? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. An assumption that could be wrong, cause offense, and draw criticism that Google isn't managing bias in its algorithms. Right? Wow. Well, yeah. Wow. I right? Can't, doesn't that make you wonder, like, who's heading that project? How diverse of a group was working exactly. on that? Exactly. think that if it was and remember, largely women. Siri didn't work with a woman's voice when it was first developed. So, um, because it was all women testing it. I mean, right, all men testing right, it and right. designing it. So Lambert said Google engineers tried several workarounds to keep gendered pronoun suggestions, um, pronoun suggestions, but none of them was bias-free. So they just banded, or banned, decided to ban <laughs> gendered <laughs> pronouns. Wow. And the policy affects fewer than 1% of smart composed suggestions. Um, but it's still, I think, such a great policy to try to eliminate bias mm -hmm. in, in how it, its product works. Oh, getting rid of the self-reinforcing <laughs> right. loop. Right. right, exactly. So I thought it was actually good news. That is good news. Good job, yes. Google. Not no. good job to the initial <laughs> part, but no. good, good fix. <laughs> no, but, and the thing is, it's not that we don't have bias. It's that when we do notice them, what do we do about it? Right. Well, and I would imagine in Google's defense that they were using the statistics of how many men are there that are investors and how many women. I mean, it's the search criteria, right? If, mm -hmm. if you went to the least probable search answer as the first answer in your search, Google would annoy the hell out of all of us. Yes. And um. on the other hand, they're using those search algorithms, I would imagine, to then pre-populate with the most commonly used, which most common more common yeah right um, right so so the, to sort of switch it up now and say okay we don't want to predispose because that's actually going to affect our minds yes and our assumptions or presumptions uh, so is that the least cycle? that's the cycle you were saying uh, yes that, that then you'd all start to presume and then we start to model and then we start to believe and then we start to unbelieve that it's the certain things are even possible and and this is part of the challenge that we have in in the way that we're getting news today or the way we're getting any of these answers and part of the reason why facebook and google and others are finding themselves so incredibly powerful and the government saying hey time out this we got too powerful we gotta look at this wow yeah. and i see this as just like we in R&D, we design for manufacturability. We should design our products for gender equality. Wouldn't that be nice? And and diversity, I, I know that another example that we've come across is is just facial recognition. Oh. Same same challenges for the people developing facial recognition, largely developed on the, um, I guess, the government um, distribution of personnel. So the time before this Congress was <laughs> was sworn in, you know, many more white men. So facial recognition for white men was extremely high. If you were a black woman, as an example, it, sometimes you would be mistaken for a man. Be it, the facial recognition because of the number because of the number of, of African Americans that were that were in, in the database were in the database. So again, if you take the database and the statistics of that database, you will end up skewed. <laughs> towards towards the majority and not the minority so yes so i love your let's presume gender yeah, diversity exactly and and i would say we've got to start investigating more and more racial diversity right. of course and, and be thinking more why do we want to stereotype anyway what's the yeah. <laughs> so so there's this notion of the curb cut effect of if you focus on the minority of the minority, the entire minority benefits. Um, so put differently, when, when they were doing the curbs such that um, the people with disabilities could be able to, to navigate the sidewalks, the curb cut effect was to cut out such that you could take your wheelchair, for instance, and, and get it up onto the sidewalk. That had derivative benefits for cyclists, for blind people, for, it, it took a minority situation and impacted a whole majority of people who right. were struggling with these curbs and, and, right. and step-offs. So one of the things that uh, the nonprofit I'm on has been focusing on is why don't we focus on women of color 
in, in the tech industry as the diversity target to help all women of, of every genre because they're the least prevalent. So focus on the least prevalent and bring them up and it will bright, all boats will rise, rise. Is, is the yes. belief. And the yes. curb cut effect was the, the notion that we were we were focused on. Um, similarly with code schools, if you're in the Bay Area and you haven't gone to Stanford, do you think you're gonna get a job at Google? Um, yet somebody who's gone to a code school maybe, and Google may have this practice already, um, but if somebody who's gone to a code school could be brilliant, they just don't have the pedigree. So why don't we work on code school folks and getting them jobs in diverse positions and And it would improve the whole hiring and, and attraction of all other underrepresented groups. Exactly. At least that's that's our that's our premise. I love it. <laughs> well I we'd like too. to hear how that's going in six months. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. I would love to do a follow up episode. This has been awesome. Well we have so enjoyed having you here and thank you for taking the time. Um, Thanks for asking me. What a treat. What a treat to, to, to meet you, Ronnie, and, and, and to see you again. And wait, Five years? Was it really? Five yeah. years ago. Yeah. Isn't that well, crazy? You look great. Well, that's because you're a straight woman. Straight well, women thank always you. look so put together. Well, and I'm newly I'm engaged. So newly. Yeah. She, has, she has an engagement <laughs> glow. Yeah, I have the, not the pregnancy glow. Oh, I have the engagement glow. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your story and all your insights. I, I'm excited to share it with as many people as possible. Exactly. And as we always remind you, remember, your value doesn't decrease based on someone's inability to see your worth. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Undervalued. If you want to follow us in other ways, we're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Undervalued the Podcast. We'd love to hear from you via email. Email us your questions, stories, if you need advice, things like that. Our email is undervaluedthepodcast at gmail.com. Also, please check out our website, which is undervaluedthepodcast.com. And if you like what you heard, please rate us so that others can find us and get as encouraged as you've been, hopefully, this episode. And if you really loved us, feel free to donate at our donation page, which is patreon.com slash undervaluedthepodcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah.